Welcome everybody to our weekly ICEJ webinar. And uh, as you can see, we are coming this time not to you from Jerusalem as normally, but you see the beautiful backdrop here behind us. We are coming still from the Eastern Mediterranean area, but we come to you from the island of Cyprus. Moi uh, Mercalus and myself, we are here right now for a very strategic conference. We might actually uh, speak about that a little bit in the, in the webinar today, but we will continue today our webinar series on the life of Abraham. Uh, we had last week the, uh, the first Torah reading, the Parashat HaShavuah, which was called Lech Lecha, uh, get yourself out or go yourself out. That's the literal translation. That's how Genesis chapter 12 the starts. And uh, we read all the, all the way through Genesis chapter 17. And uh, this week's Torah portion, Moimir, we start at chapter 22. What is the title of it and, and how far does it go? In fact, we started chapter 18, that's called Vayara. Mm -hmm. And then we end in chapter 22, including the whole chapter. And it includes some of the very dramatic events that transpired in Abraham's life. And, and Vayera, where, what, where does this word come from? Vayera means the Lord showed himself or caused to be seen by Abraham. That's when he saw, uh, as he was sitting in his tent, he saw these guests coming. That's right. And it, it starts here, chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared, and that's Vayera, that's how this passage starts in the Hebrew Bible. And it covers a lot content-wise. It's the three men meeting with Abraham. It's the story about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll, later on, it goes over to Abimelech and Abraham, how they make a covenant with each other. Um, we read about the birth of Isaac. Finally, the son of promise is here. And then... Um, at the end of that same chapter, chapter 21, we also hear how Ishmael is being sent out into the desert. And then, of course, you really can say the passage crowns itself with one of the most important passages in the Bible, chapter 22, the binding of Jacob. So it's Isaac. quite of Isaac. So it's quite an, uh, a very full and packed uh, Torah portion. So what are some of the highlights for you, Maimel? Well, uh, uh, as a warm-up, I would like to point to one uh, rather overlooked uh, detail, which comes up uh, surprisingly in the Gospels when Jesus hints at something. And unless we know the Bible as the Jews would, we would probably miss this uh, little hint. That's where in Matthew 13, Jesus likens the kingdom of God to something with yeast in it. And that's hmm. quite unusual because yeast normally is uh, has a negative connotation as something small which has the property to, to grow and to spoil the whole thing. Hmm. But here Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into three measures of flour until hmm. it worked all through the dough. Now, when a Jew hears uh, the woman took yeast and mixed it into three measures of flour, it immediately uh, rings the bell because this is what Sarah did when uh, Abraham asked her to prepare uh, a snack for the three guests. Hmm. So that's uh, probably where Jesus was pointing at. And this might also uh, be an uh, explanation why yeast could be also used in the positive sense. Because first of all, it points to this uh, great hospitality of Abraham, which is a positive sign in itself. And if you look at the, some of the explanation, you will find that three measures of flour means about 60 pounds or 30 kilograms of flour. Wow. Now, for three guests, it seems like uh, it's very extravagant. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, maybe this is also a reason why Jesus is pointing to it as an example of the kingdom of God, which is not only full of grace and hospitality, but it's even extravagantly so. And that, so that's, that's just a little thing, but uh, this is the only place, as far as I know, where this exact sentence comes up and it's taken from Genesis 18. Now that's quite amazing. Amazing. I, I honestly have to say, I never, this never passed my attention, but those three men which appealed to, to Abraham, um, first of all, we have to see it in the context that um, it starts here with an amazing sentence. Also, again, here, if you know the Middle East, 
you will understand that this is something which normally people would not do here in the region where it says here, and he was sitting outside his tent at the heat of the day in verse 1, chapter 18. Now, this is something which uh, you just wouldn't do as a, a person living in tents and as a Bedouin today. That's the moment where you are actually in the shade. But I believe this tells us the preceding chapter, the Lord gives him this promise, there will come a son and he will come from Sarah. And I think there was this expectations and this eagerness for something to come that caused Abraham, even as an old man, to sit outside in the heat, hoping that something would be coming. And then it's quite amazing that um, he says three people are standing um, um, at the at the oaks, he was running to them. He saw them. He ran from the tent to the bolt meter uh, uh, to this uh, trees, you to the door. And uh, you see here again this eagerness. He was sitting outside waiting for something. He see these three men runs towards them, and then he addresses these three men in a quite unique way. Actually, in Hebrew, he speaks to them in singular, as if they were one man. And many people believe maybe this was even the Godhead appearing to him there. Well, it's also very interesting as the story unfolds, then uh, the two of the three uh, went their way towards Sodom, but it says that Abraham remained to be standing before the Lord. So mm -hmm. he is identified explicitly as the Lord. So it looks like uh, God himself was was uh, one of them. Was one of them. And he took great, great care of them. And and it's quite amazing what came to me is that this sense of eagerness, you know, he was already waiting outside in a very unusual time in the heat of the day, running towards them, to them. And in verse five, he tells his wife, he says, quickly make some bread and quickly, he says, get this part, this, uh, he tells his servant to prepare the meal for them. So there, there was really this eagerness and this sense of urgency with him. And I think that's a lesson also for us today that, if you really look for a breakthrough, they will not come just uh, by themselves, by us. Very often the Lord requires also from us this sense of eagerness that we really are hungering, hung, hungering and thirsting for that breakthrough. So that we put every effort behind that in order to meet the Lord and to see the breakthrough in our lives. What else uh, do you feel is important in that passage? Well, I think what you, what you mentioned is, uh, again, another sign of hospitality. And uh, we, as we will see later, it actually stands in contrast with what happened in Sodom, mm. because they uh, only Lot was the only one who took the guests in. Otherwise, they would uh, probably meet very, very bad fate. So uh, hospitality is a sign of a kingdom of God. Uh, but here's another very interesting question, because the, one of the most important things that uh, are described here was the announcement and later the birth of Isaac. Yes. But the Jewish commentators are asking, what is the, the connection between the birth of Isaac and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Mm. And the reason they are asking is that, first of all, on a formal level, uh, the Hebrew Bible does not have chapters and verses like ours, but it has a certain signs to denote what we might call a paragraph. Mm -hmm. And the sign is a small pe, a letter pe, which, uh, you know, signifies the end of a paragraph. And interestingly, the whole story of uh, the announcement of Isaac and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah forms just one paragraph. So mm. it uh, should be understood as a continuous story. So what, what is the reason for it? Well, the, uh, in, a nice answer could be this. The Lord said that he knew that Abraham would uh, command his sons, his offspring, to, to keep the law and to do righteousness and justice. And that is actually the whole plan the, mm. the plan of God for the blessing of all mankind, of all families of the earth through Abraham, hinges upon Abraham having a son, and he uh, would have a, another son. And so through this, a new nation would be born. We can say that God was starting to cultivate this good olive tree mm. that were there for generations. And the ultimate purpose would be that this nation would be a light unto the world and would from them the blessing would come to all the world. But 
now the the Sodom and Gomorrah is an exact opposite of mm. that. So, on the one hand, God had to do what He had to do to uh, judge the sins of Sodom, but at, at the same time, a seed was born from which something different, completely opposite, could develop. So, in a way, what what you say is speaks about both the end of a civilization, the end of a people, and the birth of a new people. Right. One that brought destruction and, and deception and sin and um, all kinds of evilness to the world. And then there was this one seed that would bring the redemption for mankind. So that's quite a, an amazing look at that. And, and, I, and I think, you know, what, what we have to see here, this uh, promise that finally became true for Abraham, that this nation will be born for, for him. He had to wait for so long. He was already 75 years old when he entered into the land of Canaan. He had to wait another almost 25 years. And then here the angels appear to him. We already see that in chapter 17. There was this initial uh, vision that was being told him. He said, you will get a son from Sarah. And now they are coming back and they are reaffirming them. And in both passages, chapter 17, we read Isaac, uh, Abraham is loving. And in chapter 18, we read Sarah is loving. And in a way, for both of them, this was such a big miracle that it was very hard for them to believe. In Romans chapter 4, uh, Paul writes about that. He says that he actually had the faith that the Lord could bring forth something into existence that did not exist. That means he believed in a creative miracle that God would take place, what God would carry out. And I think that marks really, even though there was this doubt in him, there was still this spark of hope and faith that mm -hmm. characterized Abraham. And uh, even, again, in the Hebrew name of Isaac, which is Yitzchak, uh, there's something we normally miss in translations because Yitzchak means he will laugh. Mm. And uh, I believe that this is a hint on the reaction of Abraham and Sarah, that they were found it hard to believe that their son would then remind uh, them of this situation for throughout their lives because he was called Yitzchak. That's what the Lord did. So it's the birth of the, this one nation, the nation of Israel, that brought forth the Messiah and eventually the redemption of the whole world. And um, the second part of that story, and it's quite important, you, you point that out, that actually in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, it's one big paragraph. We read about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, I want to make just maybe one point in the beginning, if that was... Uh, I read the other day from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of the United Kingdom. Uh, he says in that story, we actually see uh, the reason why God didn't choose Abraham to be the leader of the Jewish people, but that he chose, uh, didn't chose Noah mm -hmm. as the leader of the Jewish people, but Abraham. And um, because in a way they were confronted with a very similar challenge where God announced to them, that uh, God is going to annihilate mankind in the time of Abram. It was only a part the city of Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 6, in the following verses, we, uh, we read that Noah accepted that fate. He said, okay, if God is going to do that, this is the righteous judgment of God over this world. And then it says three times, and he did everything that the Lord uh, told him, which is a remarkable and amazing sign of a righteous man. But when we read the story about Abraham, he knew very well the, the judgment of God would come down, and they very well deserved it because he recognized it's a sinful nation, but he didn't accept the verdict of the Lord, but he actually talked back to, to the Lord. And, and he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And that's, you know, quite an amazing passage where in a way, Abraham even dares to question the character of God and he's starting to negotiate. He said, remember now, even he gets him down at the end to 10 people and that's quite an amazing yeah. passage. Indeed, and that is usually understood uh, what it means to be a friend of God, because mm. Abraham is called a friend of God. And he, true. his uh, relationship was so strong that he was even able to, to talk back to God, in effect. And it's interesting. Uh, yes, Noah was righteous and obedient, and that's great. But Abraham was even more, because he went after 
mercy and righteousness. Mm. And when we look at the Bible, we can see several examples of this. And I would like to say that this is what God really is pleased with. Remember Moses, when a whole people sinned and God was about to wipe them out, he said, counsel myself rather than them. And again, mm -hmm. he pointed to the righteousness of God and what people would say if they saw that the people that God chose were not able, he was not able to bring them to the land. And another example is Jonah, because he mm -hmm. went to preach to Nineveh and he was basically satisfied with giving them the notice of destruction. And then he was not happy when God relented. Exactly. And God says, well, this is my heart. And actually, we can also see it in Jesus. And even I recently read an, an article uh, comparing Jesus and John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was this fiery preacher of uh, the judgment, and rightly so. Mm. The, the, the axe is already at the root of the tree. But Jesus, in his parables, offered a slightly different picture, saying the kingdom of God is like uh, the, the field of wheat when the enemy sow the weeds, mm. but let it grow together until the end. So yes. it's again as if God is postponing the judgment as much as he can. It, the judgment must come, but his mercy allows, and that's the consequence, allows the evil to grow together with the good. So that's something that we can also see already in Abraham. And and it's you know what what you say it's you see it twice actually in the life of Abraham. He sees first of all what he could have perceived as God's judgment of Lot for settling with the uh, ungodly people in Sodom and Gomorrah. They are taken captive. He could have said, well, I could have seen it coming. This is uh, the consequence of sin. Uh, what can we do? There's not much to do. But he actually became his brother's keeper, chased after those armies, liberated them. And now we are faced with the same situation here. Where he hears about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he tries. I think it's a, a most perfect image of intercession. Mm -hmm. And in a way, what uh, really reminds me when you spoke, spoke uh, this about is Isaiah chapter 59. And I think this is really even a word for our times today in which we are living, where the Lord says, justice is turned back, righteousness stands for far away, truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Mm -hmm. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself the prey. I think it's a, an amazing description for many of our this, this societies today. And then it says, continues, the Lord saw it like he looked down on Sodom and Gomorrah, and it displeased him that there was no justice, and he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Right. And when God brought his judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah, there was actually a man who interceded, mm -hmm. and if the Lord would have found ten people, Abraham would have saved the city. Yeah. Which brings me to the important question what was actually wrong with Sodom what was the main mm. sin of Sodom now I'll quote from chapter 19 verses 4 and 5 which is uh, uh, a typical portion uh, when uh, the, the angels came to the city the men of the city the men of so a lot took them in in his own house showing hospitality but the men of the city the men of Sodom both old and young all the people from every quarter surrounded the house and they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that mm -hmm. we might know them. Now that opens different interpretations, but the most uh, uh, common one is that uh, the word that we may know them, yada in Hebrew, which is the same word that is used, for instance, when uh, Adam knew Eve and she mm. conceived. So it's it's a uh, word for a very intimate relationship, mm. including sexual one. So this is interpreted that uh, homosexuality was so rampant in the city that these uh, men assembled and wanted basically to rape the guests. Mm. And Lot did all he could to protect them because that's the law of hospitality, which he still upheld mm. and that's why he was actually from that point of view righteous and he was uh rescued from Sodom even though there were not even 10 people God still rescued him his wife and his two daughters so he, he did all he could 
so that's that's probably the picture. But then uh, there's also uh, in the Jewish sources another interpretation of the word yada because it simply means to know. Yeah. So uh, Nachmanides Ramban says that it could mean that they wanted to see the man in order to identify that. It's like police coming, show me your ID, and uh, in order to expel them because they were not part of the society in Sodom mm. and they didn't want them to, to be there. They didn't want to receive anyone. Mm. And the, uh, then the interpretation of uh, what the society in Sodom was like uh, goes like this. This was the habit in Sodom. What is mine is mine. What is yours is yours. Now that at the first glance looks like a fair game, you know? Mm. Uh, I don't want to deprive you of yours, but you don't touch mine. But what it means actually is that uh, I, I don't care about you at all. I am not my brother's keeper, in other words. And that type of society is uh, something which lacks righteousness, something which lacks, uh, 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 well, uh, mercy, mercy and righteousness. And interestingly, uh, this interpretation is based on one particular verse from the prophet Ezekiel, mm. where he characterizes the sin of Sodom. And it's found in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. This was the iniquity of Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. So the fullness of food, it means prosperity, pride, lack of righteousness and justice, uh, lack of uh, helping the poor. And actually, the homosexuality is part of that mindset. So uh, this brings us to the question of to what extent our modern, prosperous, proud society mm. resembles that uh, state of society in Sudden. You know, and it's, uh, I think this is relevant in so many levels because uh, it's exactly this uh, example of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot being rescued out of that city that is by Jesus used repeatedly yes. about the end time judgment. He says, actually, it's going to be like in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah at the time when God rescued uh, Lot and this identify this as the day of the Lord. So um, what you say is absolutely right. We are living in societies that are uh, characterized by prosperity, probably like no other generation before us at any time uh, saw prosperity and richness like that. Uh, we have become a very idle um, uh, society. I think never in history had people so much free time and could do with their times. And also, you know, we see refugees are coming into yeah. countries and people, even church people, they complain rather seeing them as possibilities to show them the love of God. Uh, we see them as a problem. And that's something which I think should all of us make very serious about our nation and start interceding also for our own countries. Yeah, exactly. That's I think it's a warning call uh, for us to stand on the side of God and on the side of the poor and oppressed like Abraham did. And, um, you know, and it's, it all is related, maybe just very briefly also about the attitude that uh, that added, that Abraham had. You mentioned that uh, he's called a friend of God. That means the Lord really saw him face to face. That means he spoke to him like with a, like an equal almost. So he was, they were commute, commuting. And then the Lord says here, when he was leaving Abram, giving him the promise of the son, um, they went out to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then it says in verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham, my friend, what I'm, my friend, what I'm about to do? And then it says something quite interesting. He says, he's, because he's going to be the father of many nations. And I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. And I think here is another difference also to Noah, yes. which in a way he failed with his children and with the next generation. But God says, I know Abraham, he is the man to start a whole nation because he takes care about the coming generations. And I think that's 
even for us in the conference, we have been reminded we are not the youngest anymore. And it's so important for us to make sure that the button is carried on to the next generation. Yes, in fact, uh, when Jews are asking the question, why Abraham, why God choose exactly him? This verse is often quoted as of one of paramount importance because he was somehow able to pass it on. And now that doesn't mean to say that Israel has always been uh, faithful. Even at, at the times when Israel failed to uphold righteousness and justice, like is uh, quoted from Isaiah 59, uh, God is even calling Israel like Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the danger is always there. But the fascinating thing is that somehow God managed to keep that nation separate from all uh, mm -hmm. others. And at this time in which we live, to bring them back to their own land, fulfilling all kinds of promises, oftentimes in spite of that, you know, the first pioneers who were Zionists and who came to the land to build it up, they were leftists and communists and the, the religious ones, they were opposing it. Mm. But God has his own way of, you know, upholding his own plan that he first gave to Abraham. That, that is fascinating. Yeah, and it's also an encouragement for all of us who are parents that this uh, attitude of Abraham to ensure that the generations after us, even including our own ch children, should always be an attitude that we should have very dear to our heart. And that's uh, the attitude that Joshua displayed when he was challenging Israel. He saw exactly what you said, that Israel is on a not good path. But he says, but me and my house, we will follow the Lord. He says, I will make sure that my children after me, they will follow the same path like, like what I'm doing. And I think that's a, a great encouragement to all of us. And uh, then, of course, we need to read about the rescue of Lot. You mentioned it very uh, highly, maybe give for the readers again the passage in Ezekiel. Where was yeah. it again? Uh, it's Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. It's the characterization of the sin of Sodom. Yeah, and so we see out of that, it wasn't just the sexual immorality, but there was much more why God uh, um, uh, judged the city for. Any other comments from your side on the story of, of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, mm. Lord? Mm. I think I'm exhausted. <laughs> Maybe yeah. my, my notes, but we can go on. Yeah. Two and, more questions, and, chapters. Yeah, and, and the next chapter for me, we, we read and... and an interesting uh, um, chapter here where he moves down to, to Gerar and he's now uh, together with Abimelech. And uh, in a way, one of the most amazing stories for Abraham is, which I always wonder why he was doing that. He was in Egypt and now he was here in the area of Gaza with the king of Gerar. And when he introduced his wife, he said, well, actually, she's not my wife and he, she's my sister. And he did it in order to save his own skin. Yeah. And, uh, and in a way, there was, I, I just wonder how my wife would take something <laughs> like that. I, I, I always wonder how the marriage between those two people have been. But the Lord always, in spite of all those weaknesses, the Lord blessed him. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, this is another encouragement because Abraham is a man of flesh and blood mm. who is not without his weaknesses. And I, I have no other understanding for what he did, but that he was just acting out of fear. And we know that people have, can be giants of faith one day and uh, we uh, be full of fear the next day. Just remember Elijah when he battled on Mount Carmel and the next day he was fleeing for his life from Jezebel. Yeah. So that's not unusual and we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's again, an encouragement for us because what God wants to do does not depend on our strength or ability, but on his mercy. And that's what James also makes uh, the comment about when he speaks about Elisha, uh, this man who prayed and there was for three days, there were three years, there was no rain. And he reminds us he was a man of flesh and blood with weaknesses like we are, but God is listening to our prayers and God is still using us. That's the encouraging passage all the result of that. And now we come, I think this was for Abraham's life, the highlight of his whole calling. Finally, the seed is here. It's quite amazing. It's actually only a very short passage. The Bible speaks about that. Yes, and it is again connected with something which happened in the family, which was not exactly right. Mm. And uh, 
which actually is a cause of trouble that we see in the Middle East until today. Mm. And that was the expulsion of Hagar and Ishmael. Yeah. And uh, on the one hand, again, playing on the word of Yitzhak, uh, Isaac, Yitzhak was born, and then his older half-brother Ishmael is described as Metzachek. Mm. And that is a stronger form, which in the Bible is actually connected with something improper, even uh, as, as far as sexual immorality is implied. Mm. When Joseph was uh, in Egypt, uh, the Putiphar's wife uh, accused him of exactly that. Mm. So uh, there was something not wrong, and Sarah was in a way right to yeah. uh, demand that he be sent away. But actually, uh, Abraham, and Abraham did, but then he rose early in the morning, took bread and skin of water, and sent them away to the desert. Mm. Now, that means in this climate that he sent them away to sure death. And the, the Lord did not demand him to do this. They, he agreed, or he would have agreed that Abraham just helped Sarah. But the way Abraham did it is considered not right. And actually, uh, the Lord himself intervened mm -hmm. and spoke to Hagar and spoke to, to Ishmael and saved them. So that's that's a story which, and we come to that later, uh, is a beginning of something which uh, has its consequences. And uh, then we can also see how it was connected to what Abraham had to go through later. It's true. And, and, and you know, uh, we are here right now in Cyprus because uh, there is a very special conference taking place. And, and even today, we had people from Lebanon sharing. Yesterday, there was a delegation from Egypt. Now, Hagar, the other wife, you cannot really call her. It was the this maidservant of, of Sarah, and um, well, the, which bore this child for Abraham. She was coming from Egypt. She married her son uh, to an Egyptian woman at the end. And uh, they brought forth 12 children, which even the Muslims today, the Arab uh, community, they say uh, those 12 kings or those 12 tribal leaders that God also promised to Abraham, they are the, the, the father nation of the Arab nations today. And uh, it was quite amazing, even over this last two days, to see that uh, this story is still, even in the church, very much alive, where uh, the body of Christ in the Arab world, the body of Christ in Israel, they try to overcome this breach that was taking place right here almost 4,000 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, a lot of feeling of betrayal uh, on, the, on the part of being cast away or expo exposed from, from the family of Abraham. And um, yeah, so that, that's something that still carries its significance until today. Yeah, and then just maybe for our listeners to appreciate that we had today a sister from Iran there, a sister from Lebanon, a sister from Egypt, and a Messianic sister from Israel, and an Arab sister from Israel, and they all were praying together, and it was almost like this whole scene was um, unfolding again, but in the reverse, they are coming back together, and they were seeking the Lord together, and it was an amazing spirit of unity here at the conference. We have to go back to that actually quite soon. We have uh, another 20 minutes where we can speak until the next session is starting, but uh, it is, like you say, absolutely right. The conflict that started here in Genesis chapter 21 with the dismissal of Isaac and uh, it's it's a conflict that's lasting until today. And um, I want to make maybe later on, uh, when we speak about the binding of, of Isaac, another comment about that. Mm -hmm. But what comes now, Genesis chapter 22, I think that's probably the most powerful imagery, early imagery yeah. on uh, the crucifixion and on the cross that we find in the uh, Old Testament. Yeah, indeed. Uh... It was an unimaginably hard test for Abraham. Mm. And uh, just to start with, I'll, I'll follow on what we have just uh, been discussing. Uh, chapter 22 starts with the phrase, now it came to pass after these things. So the uh, question is, what are these things that have passed before? And this is the expulsion of Hagar and mm. uh, Ishmael. And so the 
And in the Jewish sources, you would find again this comparison. What is the what is similar? And you can find textual comparisons, textual phrases which are exactly the same. Like mm. Abraham rose early in the morning in Genesis 21, 14, to send off Hagar and Ishmael. Yeah. And then in 22, 3, again, Abraham rose early in the morning. Mm. So it's kind of setting the same scene. Now he put water on the shoulder of Hagar. Later he put wood on the shoulder of ice yeah. again uh, it conjures the similar image and then of course in both cases god intervened mm -hmm. god intervened to save the life of hagar and ishmael and she called it the place this is the place where god saw me uh, yeah. uh, the well which she saw where the lord saw uh, saw him uh, and so her and so her son and then of course when uh, the lord intervened at the last moment mm. so on the one hand it was a true test of faith of abraham uh, but it also does bear this similarity mm. which means that probably that there's also some connection and in other words isaac was tested in a way very similar to what Ishmael went through. Mm. And that, and I'll come to that later, that could be the seed of a future reconciliation. I think this is absolutely powerful there. You know, it was not, not too long ago when I think it was an, an article in, in biblical archeology span where one of the writers wrote about exactly those similarity and he made up in the Hebrew text, it's much more obvious than in the, in the English text there, at least nine or ten parallelisms between those two passages where he said actually you need to read those two passages together and what Abraham in a way with a short within a short time it's very hard for us uh, you are a father I'm a father for us to imagine that within after these things this must have been maybe weeks or maximum months mm -hmm. after apart from each other where we read that uh, Abraham was forced to say goodbye to both of his sons. Yeah. One he sent into the desert, the other one he was asked by the Lord to uh, bring him as a sacrifice. And uh, reading those passages, I think there's only one powerful parallel that we find also in the, the five books of Moses, where in a way he had, we all understand Isaac, the binding of Isaac points to Jesus. Mm -hmm. The Lord says, I will provide a lamb. We know here, of course, that it wasn't a lamb, it was a ram. The lamb would come uh, 2,000 years later in the form of his great, 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 great grandson who would carry away the sins of the world. And the other son, in a way, he had to send him to the desert. And that's exactly the same imagery on Yom Kippur. The two well, there were two animals. One had to be sent into the desert. The other one brought to Mount Moriah into the temple and was sacrificed there. And in, and in a way, even though they went into two opposite directions, both, both animals had a part in world redemption or in the, in the redemption of, of Israel. And I think, you know, like you said, those two... Um, opposite people groups. I, I don't fully understand that parallelism, but there is, I believe, a key for what, what lays ahead for us in the future. Yes, and when uh, we speak about the binding of Isaac, we should mention the main parallel, of course, which means that he was carrying the wood on his shoulder, mm. just like Jesus later would carry the cross yes. in a very similar place, let's say in Jerusalem. And uh, I think the Jewish people even believe this Mount Moriah, that's Mount where the Moriah, Mount was Moriah. standing on. Yeah. And uh, this is what you hinted at last time, that this might be one of the instances when Jesus refers to Abraham and says, he saw my day and he rejoiced. Exactly. So he might have in a flesh forward seen Jesus walking when he walked with Isaac and he understood that Jesus was actually the lamb. Mm -hmm. But uh, God prepared the, the animal, the ram, uh, instead of, of Isaac. So he uh, spared his life, but he didn't spare the life of his own son later on. And it's interesting. I, I read that in the uh, rabbinical sources, they say where this ram, all of a sudden, uh, where he could be found, where he came from. And they say, the rabbis, 
that this was a ram prepared from the creation of the world. Mm. Well, so they, they see in it something supernatural. It, you, you don't often find a lone ram roaming alone in, in this land. So that, that's, that's something which is not, not normal, actually. Yeah, and, and you know, if we go to this passage in, in Romans chapter 4, where the faith of Abraham is being described, let me read that to you. You know, this is one of the most powerful description of the faith of Abraham. And I want, as I read this, just ask the Lord to give you that faith. Well, he says, well, he believed in the Lord who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Mm -hmm. He hoped against all hope. He was not weakened by, uh, by faith when he considered his own body. No unbelief made him waver. He grew strong in faith as he gave glory to, to the Lord, fully convinced by the Lord that the Lord was able to do what he has promised. And that's why his faith was counted yeah. to him as righteousness. And in a way, the first passage and the second passage together, he, he believed that the Lord can even give life to the dead and knowing that he will fulfill his promise no matter what he's asking from him. That means when Abraham went up to that mountain, he must have understood. I don't, he might have said, I don't understand what I need to do. I'm bringing my son. I'm obedient to the Lord. I will sacrifice. It's also interesting here. He actually didn't intervene with the Lord. He didn't argue with the Lord. That's right. He followed the Lord blindedly the next morning early without any prayer. He just said, okay, I'm going to do what you said. And then he went up to that mountain and he said to the, the full fellow yes. um, servants with him, he says, and we will come back to you. That's right. That means he understood from the beginning, even though we have to sacrifice his son, we are coming back to you, to, to, the, uh, to you alive. And, uh, and when his son was asking you, what, where is the burnt offering? He made this famous uh, 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 announcement. He says, the Lord will provide for him a lamb as a burnt offering. That means he went up in faith, willing to go to the utmost, whatever is needed, but having the faith also that even if he might have killed his son, the Lord will resurrect him again, and they will come back, and the Lord will fulfill every promise that he made. Yes, and that's very powerful. And actually, there's another aspect of it, because as we discussed, maybe Abraham, when that happened, maybe he remembered what he did to Hagar and Ishmael, and maybe he was aware that this might be kind of a punishment for what he did. So in that sense, our faith might be weaker if we are aware that we failed. Mm. He still went, believing in the goodness of God, in spite of his own failure. He not only obeyed, but he believed that the Lord would prevail and that he would, in the end, maybe uh, raise his son from the dead, but he still believed in the goodness of God. No, that, that's so true. And, and you know, this is, by the way, an interesting rabbinical tradition about Isaac later on, which was maybe um, a young boy in his um, below tens or maybe even a teenager. Nobody really knows how old he was. But uh, this was, they say, the rabbis say, a memory that always stood with him, that the God that his father is worshipping actually might cost his own life, not other people's life. So I might have to pay with my own life because mm -hmm. my father is following radically the Lord. Mm -hmm. And uh, later on, when Jacob speaks about Isaac, and he refers about the faith of Isaac, he believed in the in the in, in German, it's called the Schrecken, the, the Schrecken Isaacs. He was the he was so the horror, the horror of Isaac. He understood that uh, the God he was really to be feared. It was an entity to be feared. Nevertheless, they all trusted the Lord and had this incredible faith in Him. Yes, and as a as a preview of the next session, maybe I will mention something which is not in this parasha, but in chapter twenty-four later on. But it shows. Uh, that, as I hinted at before, there must have been a connection between Ishmael and Isaac. First of all, they, uh, Ishmael did not completely disappear. Mm. Uh, and we also find that Isaac, when uh, his wife was being brought to him, where was he? He was uh, at a location called Be'er Lachai Roi. Yes. That's the exact place where God saved Hagar and Ishmael. So he must have known 
the story. He probably uh, was in some kind of contact with Ishmael and he loved to go there, maybe to meditate. And if there was something which uh, had a similarity in his own experience with what the Ishmael experienced, then even though they went separate ways, there was still a bond which uh, was clearly manifested when uh, their father Abraham died, because the scripture says that they buried Abraham at Ma'arat Machpelah in, in Hebron yeah. together. So yeah. if, if that is a picture of reconciliation, then I think it's a very strong one. And uh, from what we are experiencing today and in these days, and in fact, at this conference, it's, it's a very powerful statement. And I believe that this is what the Lord wants to do in the end. We have many prophetic scriptures for Abraham or the children of Abraham. Uh, just by the way, the Abraham Accords, I don't think it's a coincidence that Abraham's name is brought here, but the Lord wants to bring the children of Israel, Ishmael and children of Isaac together. And I believe there is going to be a strong reconciliation which will usher in a blessing like we have never seen. And, and Moime, I think you should share this even tomorrow because um, the passage that you are that you refer to, which we are going to speak, I think that next week, next week we'll have another webinar because there is an important, we'll say this at the end, but we will continue in two weeks with part three of this parasha, uh, parashot and the life of Abraham. But uh, the, the, the parasha or the, the Torah portion you refer to uh, that we will speak about next time, actually it's the passage that, are, that is being read right now this week while here in this very hotel, Ishmael and Isaac, they are meeting together. Yeah. And it's, it's quite amazing. And that very same week, I think we, we could have never planned it ourselves no, no. Uh, when, we, when, when we are having this conference. That's the very same reading all over the world in this synagogue where Ishmael and Isaac are coming together for the burial of Abraham. Yeah. And that's our prayer even for this conference. You know. no, it's surely a sign. And what I find so moving and I, I heard it many times before and i heard it today again it is the work of the holy spirit who convicts the arabs to reconcile with the jews mm -hmm. and who convicts the jews to reconcile with the arabs there's no other explanation when people when this young lady was sharing how she considered the Israelis as their enemies but the holy spirit as a, as a believer as a, as a believer. believer already and I remember uh, Tarsada, this former driver of, of, uh, of Yasser Arafat, when he first came to the Lord and he, he confessed the, uh, Jesus as his Messiah, he found himself praying for the salvation of the Jews. He couldn't believe it mm -hmm. for him until that moment. Uh, a good Jew was a dead Jew. That's mm -hmm. how he puts it. And that is a complete transformation. And it's only the power of the Holy Spirit is able to do that. And we are seeing this today in increasing numbers. So this is really something extraordinary. And, and it is the, the power of the gospel that really, I believe is the only solution here for the Middle East. I remember you, you know him also, or you knew him very well, the late uh, uh, rabbi and member of Knesset, Benny Elon. Uh, I remember very well, it was one of the first years when I started with the Christian Embassy, and you were all aware that, uh, of course, one of the big challenges, Israel doesn't like missionaries here in the land, in the land of Israel, and he comes to me and he says, introduced himself, I'm Rabbi Benny Elon, and he says, Mr. Buhl, I have one request, or he called me Jürgen, one request to you, I said, well, I was wondering, maybe he needs some finances for a project, and he says, please, he says, sent more missionaries in the Arab world. And I looked at him, here was a rabbi asking us for missionaries, he says, why do you ask me that? He says, if they believe what you believe, that means peace for the Middle East. And I think that's what this conference is about. That's what, in a way, the passage that we read today on the one day, one son sent into the desert, like this one goat on Yom Kippur, the other one brought to Mount Moriah, and we don't, we can't fully figure out what the Lord is doing, but it's one of those mysteries that serves for world redemption. Absolutely. And uh, it is written in Romans chapter 11 that uh, we Gentiles will bring Jews to jealousy. Mm. And if there is 
people who can easily bring Jews to jealousy, then it's the former enemies like the Iranians and the Arabs who are loving the Jews. That is very powerful. I remember how the Egyptian group came uh, already two years ago to participate in the march to Jerusalem. And I just saw of Jews who are lining coming the ends of national club. When they saw Egypt, they didn't know where So they were completely blown away. Absolutely. So I, I want to make maybe one more final comment on that on that passage. Um, that after this binding of Isaac, we see here that um, the Lord is reaffirming the calling of I of of, of Abraham, uh, where the angel of the Lord called uh, uh, towards him, and the Lord repeats the promise that He made already to him in, in the book of Genesis: "I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you." as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashores and your offspring shall possess the gates of you, the enemies. Mm -hmm. And in a way, what, what this says to me that um, this wasn't something that was there in the initial calling when God called mm -hmm. him in Genesis chapter 12, but God in a way almost upgraded the blessing of Abraham after he was willing to go literally to the very end. And I believe that's also a, a spiritual lesson to us as we are more and more in our life are willing to commit to the Lord. The Lord is bestowing to us more authority. You will possess the gates of the enemies and the gates that even the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot was sitting in the gates of the city. That means he was like a city councillor. He was a governing person of that very city, which was an ungodly city. And here the Lord promises Abraham, he says, you are going to possess the gates of the enemy. Well, that, uh, of course, rings the bell with Jesus is saying that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Those believers who are actually uh, walking in the footsteps of Abraham. And these are those who have not uh, loved their lives until death. These are those who prevail. So that's a sobering word. I would say, but something which uh, is very much already here in the life of Abraham and something which the Lord is using to overcome the evil. Yeah. And, and in a way, you know, this concludes our Torah portion today. 